Hey, uh, once again, a very special welcome to you. If you're visiting Canterbury Gardens, it's a great um, privilege to have you here with us, particularly if you have either um, haven't been to church uh, ever, uh, and this is the first time you've come to a church service, church building. Um, we, we're very glad that you've made the time to come. Um, and if you're maybe someone who has never been or hasn't been to a church service for a long time for various kind of reasons, uh, we're glad that you're here with us too. And maybe if you're visiting um, as well, uh, we, we're thankful that you're here with us. Um, if you have your Bibles, I want you to grab, uh, grab it or turn it on or slide to it. Um, we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, if you're visiting again, um, as Singla was talking about, uh, we, we as a church uh, see the Bible as um, this wonderful, true, um, beautiful book, but it's also as we read it, as we hear it, as we talk about it, as we um, hear it from on Sunday mornings, as we gather, as we study it during the week, as we uh, talk about it in our small groups, the reason why we do it is not just because it's a book. We believe that when we read it and hear it, we're actually hearing God's Word. And that's why we do what we do on Sundays. And that's why we deliberately take our time going through a particular letter um, in the Bible, like we've done with Philippians, as we're doing 1 Peter. And the reason why we're doing the stuff like bookmarks and getting you to join small groups and ticking things off and all those kind of things is because we want you to marinate in God's Word and let it soak in and through the Holy Spirit... Let it just permeate into your life, in all of your life. Uh, and this is why we do what we do. So I'm going to read from 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 5. Um, and uh, this is God's word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we continue this time of worship to hear from you what you're saying to us, both individually and as a people. Please pray that you would help us to filter out the noises that's going on in our hearts and minds and that you would show us what's on your heart. And God, once again, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Uh, this morning, my hope is to look at one big idea, and that idea is to consider or ask yourself the question, are you living a life of hope? Are you living a life of hope? 
When you look at your own life, does it permeate that you have hope in your life? Now you might be sitting, that's a pretty heavy question to consider, Shabiru, on a Sunday morning. I haven't had my coffee after the service yet. I'm still waking up. But it's an important question to ask. What is ultimately your outlook in life? As you look ahead in this week, as you look ahead in the month ahead, maybe even the year that is ahead of you or the year that's just been, what is your outlook of life? See, in our church family, we've gone through a lot of trials and suffering. There have been plenty of people in our church who have faced death. They've, They've personally experienced it or they're right at death's door. And it's interesting when you talk to them, they have an interesting perspective on life. But for a majority of us, My guess is we don't really think about death and what holds beyond death for a majority of us. Particularly when you're at the very younger stage of life, you're not really thinking about death. You're thinking about all the plans in front of you. And maybe you're at the other stage of life, of retirement, and you're thinking about the life you've just had and how you're going to enjoy this retirement season. But the question we still need to ask in whatever season we're in is, what do you and I hope for in life? Both for the life here and also ultimately for the life beyond. I've been reflecting on this passage and there's this word that comes in this passage, if you saw and read it, is that word inheritance. And I realized a couple of things. One, My inheritance or my will has not been updated. My third child is not going to get anything. was the first thought I had. Secondly, was I thought about inheritance, I talked about my parents. Now, my parents go to this church, and so I've got to be very careful how I say this. But I did think, what do I hope to get from them when they pass away? And some of you, I can't believe he's saying this. What is wrong with this guy? And it may change after this sermon for my parents' will, I don't know. But I did ask that question, what do I hope to get from my parents? Not in a selfish kind of way, but I wondered what they would leave for me in their will when they go home to be with Jesus. So I thought I'd show you what I wish I hope I get from them. Firstly, here's a picture up here on the screen. Um, I don't know if you can see that, Kimang. It's a picture of a cupboard with lots of things inside it. That. That is my mum's spice cupboard. (laughs) That is the secret sauce to all of my mum's cooking. I hope that she leaves that in her will to me, not to my sisters. The other thing I hoped for is this picture up here. This is another secret sauce to a lot of Indian cooking, particularly southern Indian cooking. It's called a curry leaf plant. I hope that my mum leaves that for me. Now, I'm showing you these kind of silly pictures to think and get us to think what we hope for in life. What do we hope for? You can take that picture off, by the way, Kimming. See, when we look at our own lives today... We need to consider some things. We need to consider what are we hoping for, not just in this life, but the life beyond. And see, over the next few weeks, we're going to be spending a significant time in this letter called 1 Peter. This 1 Peter letter is a beautiful, deep, rich letter. We talked through this a few years ago, but the reason why we're doing this as a church, uh, eldership and leadership is because in the time that we live in, we wanted you to show you 
how we can live in this world that constantly and continually grows against the Christian faith. But that is nothing new in God's world. Over the next few weeks, we're going to dive into this letter. And so to kind of set the, uh, set the pace for us, to kind of set the foundation for us, we want to get to know who's writing this letter. So we are told in the first few verses in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, this guy, Peter, if you are new to the Christian faith, he's well known within Christian circles. If you've grown up in the Christian church, you've heard about him. Peter was someone who came to know Jesus. He was there when Jesus was physically here on this earth. He saw all of Jesus' ministry. He was a business owner. He probably owned a business like a, as a fisherman. He ran a company and he gave all that up to follow Jesus Christ. He was a man who was married. He was a man who uh, was given a different name. He was known as The Rock. But not only that, and then we read about it later in 1 Peter, he actually saw the sufferings of Christ and then saw the risen Christ. Now, if you get to know Peter and his personality, I like him. He is rash. He was quite aggressive. He would make big claims and then he would quickly forget about it. He was also one who deeply knew and was impacted by the grace of Jesus Christ. And that he denies Jesus. He even said, I'll go to, go to the cross. I will die with you. And he denies him. And then Jesus comes and restores him. Jesus, is, uh, Jesus restores him and then his life is completely, continually transformed. And you read about it in the letter of Acts. Where Peter is one of the significant early church leaders and apostles. Someone who had leadership over the churches at that time. Someone who was writing scripture like we have here in front of us. And as a significant leader, he was the first guy that gave the big gospel significant message in the first few chapters of Acts as he proclaims about this Messiah, this King, the Lord Jesus Christ who came into this world who died on the cross, who's now risen, now is calling every nation, every tribe, every tongue to respond to this good news. And Peter's life is sold out for this gospel. Even to the point that one day he would actually be martyred for his faith. This is this letter by Peter. And then we have what's in front of us, who Peter's writing to. He was writing to a group of people, a group of churches, and dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. There's a map here up on the screen for you with those stars. So people, uh, sometimes, I don't know if you've heard this before, when you're having uh, a bit of a conversation with your friends who don't know Jesus, oh, the Bible's just full of stories. They're just made up stories. Well, you know the reason why these facts are here for you and I? It's a reminder to us these are real people, real places. These are true facts. So if you want to know where this is, this is modern-day Turkey. This is where these churches were dispersed, and Peter is addressing them. This is the reason why we talk about this. Now, these churches were in an interesting situation. Uh, it was a time where the Christian faith was actually going to be a lot of people who followed Jesus were giving up a lot of things. 
They were giving up the culture that they grew up in. They were giving up the gods that they worshipped. And they were going to be facing significant persecution. The Roman Empire of the time, they had emperors who would demand worship of them. And if you didn't, they would persecute you. They would burn you. They would kill you. They would hang you upside down. They would burn you alive. They would throw you to the lions. And these churches are in dispersion. And they're in a significant time where the impending persecution is about to come. Significant persecution is going to come. This group of people is being reminded by Peter. But this churches, all these different communities, now Peter's writing one Peter to them to call out to them to live a particular way, to live a particular lifestyle, to live as a community, as a group of people who are also ultimately under the authority of the living king, but what would it look like to live under an authority who was totally against Jesus Christ? He talks about what does it mean to have marriage that displays the love of Christ and the gospel of Christ. He talks about in 1 Peter, well, you guys are going to face suffering. It's not like he says you might, maybe, you will if you're going to stand for the gospel. But what is your response going to be in those moments when critiques ridicule you, may even kill you? He calls out and says, well, there's the kind of world leadership and then there's leadership that's defined by Christ. And what does that leadership look like? And he talks about it in 1 Peter. And then Peter even addresses the church and says, yeah, there is also the physical battles of wars and rumors, but there's a greater battle that's going on. That is the spiritual battle that you're all involved in. And he's writing to this group of churches. In 1 Peter 1, he actually makes a very interesting term. He says to them that they are elect exiles of the dispersion. Now, I'm guessing you probably don't use that kind of language when you're hanging out with your friends. Where are you from? Oh, I'm part of the elect group at Canterbury Gardens Community Church. Part of the dispersion of community churches. It's not kind of language that's normally used, but there's a reason I think Peter's purposely using this kind of language. Even in the very statement that he writes, he's actually setting a foundation for these churches. Actually, it's also a helpful reminder to you and I today. Another way to put it is, Peter's writing to these churches, and he's writing to a group of Christians, and that idea of elect dispersion or exiles, another way to put it is, hey guys, you're a group of Christians, followers of Christ, who are temporary residents in the cities that you live in. You are temporary residents living in the cities that you are living in. Another way to put it is saying that you have come from another home. This is not your home that you're living in. This is not your native home. You're exiles. You are temporary residents living in these cities. It's like an old hymn put it, to, put it really well. Just passing through. Just passing through. Their sojourners is another language. See, in this letter, Peter is writing to this church and, and these group of churches and saying, Hey, friends, you are exiles. You are a group of people as Christians, your temporary residents and citizens living in these cities. But as you live, you live with hope. And this is a striking reminder to you and I today in 2017, isn't it? 
to simply ask the question, how are we living here in this world? How are you and I living in this world here on this earth? In Melbourne, in Kilsyth, in the city of Maroondah, in Victoria. What does it look like to live as a people described in this kind of language? As we head to school, as we head to uni, as we head into our workplaces, in whatever season of life you're in, whether you're at the very start of your life and you've got life plans set out for you or you're coming to the tail end of your life, the question is still the same. How are we living in this world? And the question is, to, to drive a bit more deeper, ultimately to ask the question, where is our hope as we live in this world? Is it in the life right in front of us? Or is it in the life that is to come? And friends, if you don't know Jesus, and if you have no idea what this means, I want you to know the reality is that you were created to be an eternal being. You are an eternal being, that you were created to be an eter- having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Christ has made you to know him, and that's the only way that you're going to find true hope in when you have a relationship with him. And if you live your life in such a way that you're thinking that you'll find hope in the things of this world, and this is your home, it'll all one day be gone. But Christ offers you something eternal, something far greater, far more glorious, far more beautiful. And that holy hope can ultimately be found in Jesus Christ. Because we're created to be in relationship with him. And there is consequences, eternal consequences for rejecting the loving, gracious God. And if that is something new to you, we would implore you, we would cry out to you to ask hard questions of us and explore these truths. It's not simple. These are eternal consequences for rejecting Christ. You and I were created to have eternal relationship with him. And ultimately you were created not to put your hope in the things of this world or the promises of this world but to the one who provides you greater hope. And Christian friends, for those of us who believe in this truth and this gospel, how is our life being shaped by these truths? Do we live as people with hope in this world? Do we live with such an attitude that we're actually just temporary residents in this place? And if we consider that question, are we living as temporary residents? I reckon there's usually what happens is we go a couple of ways. Some of us go, yes, temporary resident. I'm a temporary resident. This is not my home. Heaven's my home. My eternal home is there. And so what happens? We disengage completely from this world. See, the letters, the churches that Peter's writing to, he's not telling them to disengage And remember who this person is, Peter, the apostle, who is an eyewitness to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who comes into this world, 
who doesn't disengage, engages with this world, does not compromise because he's the perfect one, who both calls out for forgiveness and mercy, but then also calls out sinners to repent and turn to him. This is wonderful truth in Gospel of John where it talks about Jesus coming into this world and tabernacling with us. His presence is holy God. And yet Jesus comes in and brings this hope of forgiveness and mercy. He engages to a broken world. And then he sends out people like Peter and others and whoever else that says Jesus is the Lord of my life to go and live as temporary residents, to represent Christ in a world that continuously says no. Another way to do it, to live this idea of life and how we live in this world, is ultimately to really, in some sense, do we live, in a sense, with no hope at all. We get this idea that, yes, Jesus has saved me. He's given me eternal life. Now I've got my ticket to heaven. And that's it. And in some sense, we kind of duck in. Friends, can I just challenge you on that? Be very careful where that leads. Because in some ways, that means we're ultimately leaving to move towards selfishness. Because if Christ has given us a hope, we can't just hide it. We are not called to hide it. Then there are some of us that uh, know that we've been saved, we've been given new life, eternal life, but in some sense we live as though if someone who does not know Jesus looks at you, they wouldn't have a clue that you are a follower of Jesus. No idea at all. Because your life does not display, my life does not display that we're living as a people of hope. And that's displayed in a way where we ultimately put our hope in the systems of this world. We put our hope in the the structures. We put our hope in a lot of things that this world is setting up, thinking that will be our hope. But it is not our hope. We weren't designed for that. Our design was to be our hope in Christ, our Savior. It's interesting, whenever that we talk to someone who has faced death or an impending death or have been impacted by death, their whole perspective changes. The amount of times I've heard people who've experienced death in their own lives and their family's life and they say words like this, my life has changed. I, the way I'm living life, I can't just live life now existing. It's changed my perspective. It's changed my perspective. But I don't know about you, from Monday to Friday to Saturday, as soon as we finish our church service, it's almost like there are these noises yelling at you constantly, drowning out truth, drowning out truth that matters. Friends, you and I have been called to live a life as temporary residents in this world, but it needs to be displayed to a world. And I think the reason why we lose sight of this, there's a couple of things. And we are shown that in verses 2 and verses 3 to 5. Peter says, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Firstly, I think we forget our call. 
Peter says to this church, hey, don't forget who you are. Don't forget your call. This is saying in this very wonderful reminder to those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ, there's something significant happening. In these verses, Peter says, God the Father who has known you, has always known you, knew you and saved you and drew him to himself to give you eternal life. And then the Holy Spirit has invaded in your soul, in your heart, and it is changing you. He's sealed you, he's given eternal life, and it's sanctifying you. And that is all possible because of an act that has happened through Jesus Christ, who sprinkled his blood, who's washed away your sin. The language in here is like the, it's a beautiful display of the Trinity of God at work in salvation. God the Father, in his foreknowledge, the sovereign one, knowing, drawing, calling. God the Holy Spirit, invading a life, changing, sanctifying. And God the Son, who's making sure the work of the cross, his blood, is once and for all those who commit in faith to the one. It's a wonderful picture of salvation, of God's work. And this is a reminder to you and I, I think, not to forget this. And this should actually give us hope. Not lose hope. It's a wonderful picture that Peter is outlining to the church and even to us. And then he keeps going forward. Have you ever pondered about heaven? Do you ever sit there and go, I wonder what heaven's going to be like? Do you ever think about eternal things like, oh, I wonder what heaven's like? I don't know about you. Some of us think about it, but some of us, most of us, probably don't even think about it. It's kind of this weird concept out there. Maybe you may think, oh, heaven's like harps and angels singing. No. In these verses in front of us, Peter says to us this wonderful, beautiful reality, a glimpse of what is waiting for those who put faith in Christ. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in that last day. In these verses, Peter's displaying and writing to this church, hey, two deaths have happened. One, your death. When you responded to the gospel, when the grace of Christ changed your heart, there's a death that happens. This is where Christians use the language of born again. We are born again, not to some dying hope, but to a living hope. It's eternal language. The other death that has happened and had to happen was our Savior, Jesus Christ, who had to go to the cross and die and pay for our sin. But it didn't end there. That's a wonderful truth that Jesus raised again on the third day. That means his resurrection gives us certainty to a living hope. Gives us certainty to a living hope. And then through his life and then his death, he's given us something. He's given us an inheritance. It's a beautiful 
inheritance. It's an inheritance in comparison to the things of this world. That even in that culture, when they talked about inheritance and family, it was a big deal. But this language that's used here is to say, hey, the inheritance that we have is so much better, so much glorious than anything that you can inherit even in this world, even from your own family. He says, the inheritance that we've been given because of Christ, it's imperishable. It can't be corrupted. It's sinless. It's perfect. There's hope in it. Unlike the inheritance of this world, it's going to be eventually be corrupted. It is corrupted. There's no hope in the inheritances of this world. The inheritance that we have received from Christ, it's undefiled. That's another language of hope. But the things and inheritance that the world offers to you that you might inherit, it's actually defiled. There's no hope in this. But the inheritance that Jesus offers and God offers through what he offers through the gospel, it's unfading. It's another language of beautiful hope. This is the hope that we have been given. But the inheritance that the world offers, the things of this world, it will eventually fade away. As much I, I hope that my mum will lay, leave behind in her inheritance the spice cupboard and the curry leaf plant, eventually all of that's going to fade away. I will not find any hope in it. And this is beautiful language that has been kept, that it's been guarded, carefully kept. It's like a precious thing that's been held in this, you know, I don't know if you've been into one of those houses and they have those china kind of plates and no one touches it. It's carefully kept. That's the kind of language here. It's been kept and carefully kept. But it's all done by who? Verse 5 tells us it's by God's power that it's been guarded. And that is freeing language. There's so much here in these verses. But this is to tell you and I in summary that there's no need for us to fret. That God himself is guarding and protecting this And then when you put your faith in Christ, it's been guarded for you, and there's a day coming, it will be revealed. It's this language saying, hey world, here are my saints who have persevered. Here's the ones who have been given salvation. It's like a grand unveiling to all of creation. And all those who put their faith in Christ are beneficiaries. They have hope. They've been given an inheritance. See, friends, if you don't know Jesus, this is why the Christian faith is so much more than coming to a church service on Sunday and wearing the right clothes or even actually um, going to Bible studies much deeper than that. The gospel of Jesus Christ is here to tell you that the Christian faith is the only faith that will and can only provide hope for you beyond this life. And the Christian faith is the only faith that will provide for you even as you live in this world, as you gaze to eternal things. Because the Christian faith is not based on stories, it's based on eternal truth. Because of the one who's made it possible. Can I encourage you to come and chat to one of us after the service? Maybe even talk to the friend who brought you here to discover that this hope that is available for you. 
And for those of us who know Jesus, as you head into this week, as you turn on your talkback radio, as you look at your Facebook posts of all the arguments that are going against the Christian faith, as they continue to yell at you that you have no hope, as you in your own heart may be stirred to think that you have no hope, please, can I call out to you? Can I cry out to you? Can I implore you to bring God's word to those lies and filter it with the truth that says that you and I have hope? That you and I have been called to live a life as temporary residents in this world. That you and I have been given mercy and that you and I have been born again to an eternal inheritance. To an inheritance that waits for you. So next time, as you engage into the world, as you talk about it with your friends who are constantly saying Christians are this, Christians are that, can I encourage you, just remind yourself, they don't have any hope. So of course they're going to not understand. But you and I have been called to engage with them. In that moment when you feel your heart stirred out of fear or anxiety because of all the headlines that are going on, or maybe even go the opposite way where I'm tempted often to bring my arrogance and pride to give them the one-two punch and say the Christian faith is true, I need to stop and hear the voice of Christ, the perfect one, the obedient one, the humble one who engaged this world both in truth and grace. Then he calls you and I to live for him, to live as a group of people, as temporary residents in a world that is living life with no hope at all. No hope at all. But see, Christ is the one who does bring hope. Friends, I think when you and I as a church community grow in this, I think it actually helps us to live as temporary residents. That, it, that pushes us to live with humility, with grace, with truth, with love. I'm not talking about not engaging, I'm talking engaging, but as you engage, you do it with grace, love, and truth, and strongly. Just as your Savior and my Savior did. Just as your Savior and my Savior does with us every day as he engages with your heart and my heart. So you and I then are called in faith to live as temporary residents, not as people with no hope at all, but as people with living hope and eternal hope in Christ. This is the inheritance that waits for us. Oh, what great thing it is for those of us who know Jesus. Amen. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a great king that has sprinkled us with your blood. Please, multiply your grace and peace in us. Thank you for giving us life, giving us hope, a living hope. Thank you for the inheritance that waits, imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven by your power. And pray as we sing this last song, we pray that we will worship you with great hope. In Jesus' name, amen.